I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10 to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's up, all you anti-heroes out there? This is Doc Askins coming at you with another one of these Q5 podcasts, getting ready to rock and roll, having a great conversation with great people. The great person I got on today is Brett Waters. He's an attorney and the co-founder of Reason for Hope and the Veteran Mental Health Leadership Coalition, a nonprofit policy and advocacy organization focused on advancing safe, affordable access to psychedelic therapies to treat mental health conditions, addiction, and to prevent deaths of despair. Brett spent five years as a litigation associate at Winston and Strawn before leaving the firm at the end of 2022 to focus on policy and advocacy work full time. Reason for Hope is named in memory of his mother, Sherry Hope Waters, who he lost to suicide in 2018. Brett, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast today, my friend. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate the invite. Yeah. Well, let's get the conversation rocking and rolling with question number one. What is your story? So, well, you, you shared a, a bit of it in the, the intro there, but I, an attorney who five years ago lost my mom to suicide, which after having lost her father, my grandfather's suicide when I was young, led me to kind of making a drastic change really in, in my life to to really devote my time towards mental health and suicide prevention policy and, and advocacy work, beginning as a volunteer with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and particularly with the New York City chapter while I was at the firm. And then, you know, coming across the research in, in the psychedelic medicine and assisted therapy space, I it really kind of clicked with my my own experience from from years back in college with psilocybin that helped treat an eating disorder that I lived with my entire life and so i decided to start a separate nonprofit reason for hope named in memory of my mom as as you mentioned to really focus in on education and policy and advocacy focused mostly, I would say not entirely, but, but mostly on psychedelic assisted therapy, just because there are so much, so much work to be done in this very new space that it felt like it needed kind of more full-time attention and, and, you know, still within kind of, I would say broader 
context of, of mental health and, and suicide prevention work overall, but it, it really needs, you know, as such a new field, there's just so much work to be done. And so I have been, yeah, as you mentioned, I left my firm at the end of last year to, to do this work full time now. And, and yeah, happy to, you know, look forward to getting more in, into the details of, you know, how this all came about, but really it was, and I guess my work is like, because of my experience, a very unexpected experience, kind of healing uh, this eating disorder with psilocybin and then just chalking it up to like a miracle at the time and never thinking about it again, really. And then, you know, not coming across the research until it was too late for my mom uh, has absolutely like fueled a lot of feelings of, of like guilt and shame and regret. And, and that a lot of that has, has fueled the work. And then, you know, working with so many other advocates and, and veterans in particular who are doing whatever they can to take people outside the country or, or help themselves, their family, friends, as much as they can, you know, that obviously is incredibly inspire has been incredibly inspiring working with so many people like that. And, and that has been the other, you know, major driving component behind yeah, really kind of devoting my life to this. And I think there's there's a saying very frequently, like there's life before and life after suicide. And and that's really, you know, that's kind of the journey that I'm that I'm on now. It's that life after suicide. And uh, you know, what can we do to what can I do to honor, you know, my mom's memory and and you know, make the world a better place moving forward. So Yeah, sounds like some major milestones in your story there between the, you know, reversal of the eating disorder in college and then just the tragic loss of your mother. But now, you know, having an orientation that kind of integrates those two things into where you're headed next, which is, you know, the second question is what are your intentions? Sure. So my intentions are to ultimately, you know, help people achieve better mental health and, and wellness and you'll know, be able to lead lives that they truly want to be living. And so, you know, there's a lot of kind of tactics and strategy and nuance and complexities involved in, in the policy and advocacy world. There's a lot of issues in, in mental health in, in particular that are you know, very challenging with you know, just the way that we understand it and the way that research is done and the way that policies, you know, the, the work that's supposed to be informing the policy. And there's, yeah, a lot to be done. But at the end of the day, like, you know, the goal is just to help people. You know, the goal is to help people live better lives and, you know, not have to be suffering from whether it's dealing with post-traumatic stress or anxiety, depression, you know, all the lots of different DSM diagnoses that, that are often you know, overlapping and, and describe a variety of different, you know, sometimes temporary, sometimes much more chronically debilitating conditions. And the, the goal really is just to, to help people get better and yeah, live productive and, and meaningful lives. And, you know, it's a, Certainly, like the work that that we're doing now is, you know, I think we still feel like only just a small component. I mean, hope, we hope that that psychedelic medicine assisted therapy is, is going to be a transformative 
paradigm shift in, in mental health care, and yet there's still so many societal structures in, in place that are, are, you know, we know, like, contribute to mental health overall. And so there's there's a, yeah, daunting amount of work, I think, t- to be done that's going to take a whole lot of people and a lot of time. But, you know, we hope that this is a piece that is is really going to help kind of shifting the way that mental health care, that we think about it, the way that it's delivered, and, and yeah, help, help people in the long run achieve just overall better mental health and, and more meaningful lives moving forward. Yeah. That's a, it's a worthwhile goal advocacy for alleviating suffering all over the place. Right. I'm going to ask the fourth question. Third, the fourth question is what are you creating and see if you'd be willing to kind of double click on reason for hope and the veteran mental health leadership coalition and tell us a bit more about both of those organizations that you're kind of spearheading. Sure. So. Reason for Hope, as you know, mentioned, started focused on on we we really started focused primarily on suicide prevention, and it was actually because of the just horrific opioid crisis and so many people passing away due to you know fentanyl overdoses, and so many people reaching out who had you know read my story or, or you know seen things about some of the work we were doing, and and they had lost children and, and loved ones and people like Susan Ousterman, who you had on your podcast, who, you know, lost a, a child to overdose. And, and that got, led us really more broadly to, to focus in on, you know, what we call deaths of despair, encompassing suicide, overdose, and, and you know, alcohol-related deaths and taking up, you know, broader focus on our work than just suicide prevention. And through our, our advocacy work, you know, while Reason for Hope really, yeah, covers, you know, patients of, of all populations, we had done a lot of work with the veteran population in particular. And my my co-founders of, of Reason for Hope are, you know, a retired three-star Marine general from the Vietnam era. So it's been, you know, unbelievable being able to, to work with him and, and learn from him and, you know, have him really help to advance the cause for us in a way that, you know, I just don't think anyone could, anyone else could, could really kind of open the doors in the way yeah, that he's able yeah. to, um, get through to audience. He is, he is just the coolest guy for the resume that he's got. He is just the coolest guy that I think I might've ever met. He, like, yeah. I love that guy. He, he really is an un- unbelievable human being and you'll never experience like a more interesting, uh, uh, one of the most interesting experiences you can have is just taking an Uber with him. And listening to the conversations he has with the driver every single time is like one of the most fascinating, you know, conversations, learning about where they're from in the world and, and just hearing their interactions on so many different like issues that I think a lot of people would would really shy away from and be you know worried about talking about. And they're always so genuine and so like engaging in their best friends by the end. And, and I just that's been an amazing experience. I don't want to, to to sidetrack us too much, but our our other uh our other co-founder, Dr. Lynette Averill, you know, also lost her father, was a Marine to suicide and was a clinical research psychologist in the VA. And, you know, my my grandfather, who I mentioned, was a prisoner of war and, you know, shot down in the South Pacific. And he, a veteran, you know, suicide. My mom was not a veteran, but but we certainly have, like, you know, such strong connections in particular to that, that patient population that we, you know, through our advocacy work very early on, started to work with the veteran service organizations that I mentioned, taking people outside the country or just doing whatever they could to, to find ways to help 
themselves and their families. We, you know, started kind of informally putting this coalition together, doing just group meetings every week and and starting to, you know, get a little bit more coordinated in, in advocacy with different groups around the country. And then eventually we decided, you know, this this needs its own its own entity. It's it's it really should like mm. be something for everyone to to kind of unify around some shared principles that we, you know, just kind of speaking to a lot of different groups were able to to piece together. And so now it really kind of serves as a a just powerful coalition of a lot of different voices who have uh, some of them have vastly different political beliefs, broadly speaking, beliefs even right. on how the psychedelic ecosystem and and mental health should should move forward. But you know, there are where we can find commonalities and shared you know goals. You know, we we know that we're we're stronger together at the end of the day, and so that is is really the the unifying force around it is is just bringing together a lot of voices, whether it's the you know, people with personal experience, the, the patients, the family members, got a lot of doctors, researchers, mental health professionals inside and outside the VA focused on veterans. And so it's a really diverse, you know, what we consider basically a public health coalition focused on the veteran community and, and Reason for Hope, yeah, looks more broadly at the entire patient population. So we're, uh, you know, working in a variety of, of different federal and state initiatives. I'm thrilled that you were able to, to make it out to Kentucky. Or, sorry, you're, you're already in Kentucky. I was thrilled you were able to come to the, to the hearing for the uh, Opioid Settlement Commission. And we got to hear a lot of stories. Of, <laughs> give you give you all an Uber ride from the airport to the to the hotel at least. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was worth the trip for sure. Absolutely. I was glad of that. It was an honor just to hear everybody's stories all packed into one day like that. It was incredible. It was a... You know, having been doing this for what two and a half years now, three years. It's, I mean, I've been involved in a lot of hearings, conferences, briefings. I've been involved in a lot of different things over the last few years. But to me, that was the most powerful event that I've been involved in, like two and a half years. Just so many heart wrenching, compelling stories that I, I don't know how you could walk out of that hearing and think. Like this isn't an absolute necessity. We need to be funding ibogaine research for opioid use disorder. It is absolutely like public support is is needed to help move that forward. And and it was yeah truly powerful experience. And and so Kentucky is is only one of, of many states that we're we're working in. Most of our our other the other state funding we've secured, we unlocked over twelve million dollars this past year across Illinois, Michigan. Connecticut and Arizona. Most of that is focused on, you know, the breakthrough therapies. So MDMA and psilocybin call it uh, breakthrough therapies for suicide prevention program that we're, we're working to set up. That's really focused more on the, the care delivery and, and getting providers trained, delivering care to patients who are most in need. Many of them wouldn't qualify for clinical trials through the traditional pharma you know, clinical trial model. And, you know, cause they have comorbidities and, and other you know exclusionary factors, and so we we want to be able to help those people get access to treatment without having to go outside the country, get providers trained, and the only way to really do that in real world settings is through these investigator initiated trials or expanded access. The the federal legislation that we've been been working on, the Breakthrough Therapies Act, is a kind of complementary piece to the puzzle where it would require automatic rescheduling of of those breakthrough therapies from Schedule One to Two. In advance of FDA approval and and future FDA breakthrough therapies or 
drugs approved for expanded access, which we hope Ibogaine and, and others will will qualify for. So it's kind of a science-based approach and, and also a, a important regulatory approach because we put the DEA on the clock and you know force that, you know, once the FDA makes this decision, you have 90 days to, to reschedule. That would open up access under the Right to Try Act, compassionate use for people who have really exhausted all their options and yeah, could make these state programs a lot more efficient and faster to operate by yeah, reducing research barriers and and opening up compassionate use. So it's this sort of complementary federal state policy that we've been pushing over the last year and, and will be very active in states also pursuing a similar strategy to, to Kentucky uh, with the opioid settlement funds for, for Ibogaine research and development and very hopeful that, you know, Kentucky is not going to be on an island, that there's there's more support coming and that there's, you know, hopefully federal and, and state, but that I think it's going to be the beginning of a very strong movement around the country. And yeah, it's amazing to see Kentucky leading the way on that. Strategic Navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. Yeah, just to uh, provide context for anybody that's not aware, there's a lot of momentum globally and nationally around uh, psychedelic-assisted therapy. Australia just rescheduled MDMA and psilocybin so that the, those therapies are legal there. Ibogaine's available in Mexico and in New Zealand, You know, Brazil, Jamaica. There's a whole bunch of countries that are uh, making a whole lot of legislative changes around using these medicines in responsible ways to try to treat suffering and, and mental health conditions. And then back in the end of September, the Veteran Mental Health Leadership Coalition had several clinicians and researchers and therapists and moms and dads and veterans share uh, about their stories of suffering and loss and healing and recovery around Ibogaine's use in Mexico. We'll have, uh, I'll find the YouTube video of the public hearing and put it in the description for this show for anybody that wants to hear, you know, Susan's story or Brett's testimony or, uh, you know, Dakota Meyer or Marcus and Amber Capone or Peter Joseph Barsuglia. There's a whole bunch of folks in the VMHLC, you know, and our friend General Martin R. Marty Steele making us an appearance there on his birthday to to make a presentation. So it's it's well worth the time to to check that video out. I'll throw that in the notes just to make sure everybody's on the same page as the two of us because we were both there. I don't want to leave anybody out, right? Very, very true. I you know feel like we're just having a conversation. Just saw you. Uh, last month. I'm just gonna <laughs> right, right yeah, back yeah. up on a conversation yeah. that uh, yeah should, should probably just pick have up where we left off and leave everybody out. And yeah, yeah, yeah got to take a step, <laughs> step back sometimes. But it's yeah, can it, it, to me the the power of that event really was just the, the mix of stories from so many different backgrounds. You know, veterans, non-veterans, people with you know PTSD, traumatic brain injury, opioid use disorder other, you know, severe mental and, and behavioral health conditions that, you know, stories of healing, stories of loss, yeah, just from so many different walks of life. And and that that was the the power of that that event to me was really humanized the issue and, and I think exposed some of also the financial problems that that we're facing where 
a, a treatment like ibogaine that maybe only needs to be used a couple of times has you know might also have some higher safety you know risk with the cardiac concerns with QT prolongations that you know it's not a pharma friendly development project and that to know. me is is really why the government support is is so critical but and the the proposition is to fund clinical trial research to get the answers around safety and efficacy that I as a clinician and that other clinician, clinicians would want to know before prescribing or using this medicine right so you know why oppose funding research to get those answers once we have the answers we can make decisions but everybody's got the questions so it just makes sense to me exactly as far as that goes exactly there's no you know, we need more we need more options we know that yeah that what we have works for some people but there are just so many too many that that it does not work for you know that's where we have the opportunity to make an outsized impact here with you know something that is just fundamentally different from the the current medication assisted therapies that exist. And, and that is, well, you know, two cents on that. I wouldn't vilify, and I know you're not, I wouldn't vilify like treatment as usual, medication assisted therapies. Those are the best thing that we've been able to come up with so far. And lots of people have experienced relief using those things, but I think there's the potential to do much better, right? We don't have to throw shade on the existing programs. They're doing, they're very good people, friends of mine working in those programs that are doing the best they can with what they got. And we just need to find some answers around, are there better alternatives out there? So I think that that makes a certain amount of sense, right? Absolutely. And And it's a, it's an issue that's near and dear to practically every Kentuckian's heart. Every one of us has lost somebody to the opioid epidemic because this was ground zero for a whole bunch of, uh, you know, the last 20 years of relieving everybody's pain in Kentucky with Oxycontin. And, you know, I like you can't throw a rock and not hit somebody who's lost somebody to to that particular crisis. So the opportunity to try to find some answers about better ways of novel ways of addressing that issue is something that's, you know, worth the time and worth the attention. Right. I think we agree about that. much. hundred percent. We we know that the treatments that exist are are certainly better than no treatment at all. And they work for a lot of people, but not certainly not enough. And there's just, there's a need for more options. And and it looks like despite some of the safety concerns that, you know, have been, been raised in the past with Ibogaine, people have been able to find ways to increase the the safety protocols and, and with, you know, careful screening and uh, monitoring it can be done safely. And, and uh, yeah, we hope, that people don't have to keep going outside the country to do this. So uh, the research has to be done and let's, you know, why not start with Kentucky? And if, if people want to hear more about what the experience itself is like, an N equals one study, I had Wiz Buckley, the former uh, Top Gun pilot, Wall Street exec on the podcast a few weeks ago. I think it was the seventh or eighth episode. If you want to rewind on the season and go listen to him share what his Ibogaine experience was like, uh, you can double click on that. If you've got the time, it's a, it's a pretty crazy, pretty exciting story that he shared. So... Uh, yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate all the work that you're doing and all the answers to your questions so far. I, I mixed up the order on you there. I went with the fourth question third. So now I got to come back around to the third question fourth, which is about gratefulness. What are you grateful for, Brett? Grateful for all of the incredible people who I have had the honor to work with in, in this journey. Like it, it really is. I mean, it's not easy work and and so many people who are doing it as as volunteers especially all of those those people who you know went you know so many of those people went down to kentucky and 
and are you know on the front lines advocating in states around the country at the federal level like you know it's this is just very personal for a, for a lot of people the ones who have the stories of healing are are the lucky ones i mean they are you know very fortunate and and want others to be able to experience that same you know healing and then they're you know Plenty of us who, who unfortunately are on kind of the other side of the coin are more stories of, of you know, of experience that that painful loss. And it's not fun to revisit that like all the time. And unfortunately, you know, because of that story, when I do podcasts like this or or other media, I, I mean, I took a, a step back for, for a while from doing this because when it goes online or, you know, people find you on LinkedIn. My email address used to be on the website. Still, we've obviously the general address. And, and the people who reach out are like the people who are, you know, suicidal. They've tried everything else. They're they're looking for for something. And and so it's, I think, something that a lot of other people are, I'm not, certainly not unique, like in that context. And a lot of people who spoke in Kentucky and, and elsewhere, you know, get these emails all the time and it's really hard. And, and so I am just incredibly grateful for the people who are willing to put themselves out there and share their stories and do whatever it is that they can to help. Because yeah, it's it's definitely not easy. It can be, you know, just really disheartening. It's both like we know we need to do it to educate and and help create change. And also like it comes with with challenges and and you know it's I absolutely have a fear of like creating too much kind of hype for something that isn't re- readily available yet. That's not easy to get, you know, because I get the emails all the time. I couldn't qualify for a clinical trial. I can't get outside the country to go to Mexico, you know, on a long waiting list, you know, can't get the funding. And so it's, it's going to be really, yeah, like difficult to, to deal with that. And so for all the people who are, are out there and willing to, to share and just do as much as they, they can to help. And I've just, incredibly grateful for like every single one of them it is oftentimes just like thankless work and and so many people doing it as as volunteers and you know while this is my my job now you know running reason for hope and and the veteran mental health leadership coalition i uh you know did it just as a volunteer myself for the first 18 months while i was at the firm and yeah it's it's just so much still to be done and i good we're gonna need so many more people you know, stepping up to to do it. And so I'm, I'm just incredibly grateful for like everyone who we've been able to work with and who are, yeah, out there helping to to make change. So, and I count you on that yeah, list it takes as a whole, well. So thank you for <laughs> Whole village and a whole tribe. Yeah, you know, like I'll do my part. I, I'm just one, you know, one dude and I'm no hero. That's my whole thing, right? But I'll do my part. I'll absolutely pitch in wherever and however I can. You know, and it's, and it's an honor just to be included. Absolutely. Thank you for that. You know, and that's beautiful. All those things to be grateful for, all those people to be grateful for, all the good things that are just ripple affecting out into the world to, you know, to prevent suicide, to prevent loss, to prevent suffering. God, you got a beautiful story, brother. That brings us around though, to the fifth and final question. Who are you really? Brett Waters. A human being trying to do do whatever it is that I I can to help to to move things forward, leave the world a better place than than I found it. And you know, I think we all have different skill sets and and backgrounds. And and yeah, I have you know a legal background. I 
able to certainly the the legal work that I did was like entirely unrelated to the kind of area of law that I'm practicing now, or, or at least most of the time, I was doing antitrust litigation, like you know, monopoly. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask. <laughs> monopolization lawsuits, of one technology company against another, and these like, yeah, tech monopolization. Very little to do with with what I'm doing now, but it's just able to kind of use that that skill set and you know research and writing and and yeah, learn just totally different areas of law and apply that to to the advocacy work. And and there are other people who have entirely different skill sets that we work with and just being able to come together in ways that, that complement each other is, is so important. And, and so I think, you know, that's, that's really key. It's just, you know, we all are, I think humans just trying to make the world a better place. And, and that's really the, the, the power of, of the coalition is just so many different people and voices and skill sets coming together to, make the world better and really create like a community of support because that's that's the other thing that's so important here is you know the i think drugs and medicines whatever you want to call them psychedelics can only do so much themselves uh, they can they, you know can create a rapid acting opportunity for change but having that structural and community support around it is really where uh the bigger picture is and being able to sustain you know, those kind of potential benefits to, to make really uh, meaningful differences in, in people's lives. And so the the community element, I think, is, is really critical. Yeah, uh, well said. I agree completely. You know, it's psychedelic assisted therapy. The therapy is the point. The people are the point. The maps value that we are the medicine is the point and that there's ways to do this faster and that there's good tools available to do that. But we, we have to do the healing ourselves, right? I think, I think you said that perfectly. You have any final thoughts for us? Just I thank you for, for having me and, and for those who are, are interested in, in getting involved. Yeah. Please feel free to, to, you know, go to our, our website, reason-for-hope.org or vmhlc.org. And yeah, please, please reach out. And, and we, yeah, need, as, as you can hear from uh, everything I said so far, like we need more voices, more people. Uh, we need as many people as we can getting involved and, and helping to, to move this movement forward and, and make the change to help people get access to tools that can, that bring about like real meaningful healing and, uh, you know, kind of change the paradigm of mental health care that we've been operating with for a, a very long time now and, and just hasn't been working for enough people. So this is, you know, the very early, early stages and, and there's so much to be done. And yeah, please feel free to reach out and, and we appreciate the involvement of as, as many people as we can get. Absolutely. It was a pleasure and an honor having Thanks, you on Doc. the podcast today, bro. Doc out.